heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Call now with your question, 224-585-WSFI. That's 224-585-9734. Well, welcome to Healing the Whole Person. I'm Father Bill Hayward from Our Lady of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm work. I'm here this hour with Father Cliff Ermitinger. Father Cliff is a spiritual consultant in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and Father Cliff has recently wrote written a book called "The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life." And I appreciate so much WSFI's commitment to healing and to the spiritual formation of its listeners. So, I wanted to invite Father Cliff down to to speak about this amazing book that he has published, a book you do not often run into, but a book that is very helpful for us as practicing Catholics as we journey uh, through this life. Uh, Father Cliff, welcome to uh, Healing the Whole Person in WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5. Thank you, Father Bill. It's good to be here. Yes, it is good to have you here. I want to dive right into an hour, uh, to this. An hour is hardly going to be enough to have the conversation around this book and some wonderful things you say in this book. Uh, but first, let me ask you, what made you write such a book as this, The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life? Uh, what do you see out there that makes you think, uh, we need this book? Well, it's no mystery that popular culture, media, tattoos, cartoons, all of these different forms of media have appropriated lots of demonic imagery and symbols, and nonetheless, they don't really represent the work of the devil in an adequate way. And I think also, in the last 60 years, the church has neglected teaching about many of the basic things of our faith, the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, hell, the reality of the devil. In fact, when Pope Benedict came to the United States, he complained that Catholic priests don't preach enough in this country about heaven. We can talk a lot about how this world ought to be ordered according to the mind of Christ, and that's necessary. But he said, we don't talk enough about heaven. Just imagine that. And Pius XII also said that the world was losing a sense of sin. And so when we lose a sense of sin, we also under, we lose a sense of God in the sense that we don't understand who it is that we're offending. And the devil is happy with that. The devil would like to be forgotten by us so that he can be freer to work on us. On the other hand, if he's discovered, then he wants to be a showman and he wants to impress. He wants to intimidate. And I think neither of those are adequate situations. We should be aware of how the devil works on us in our spiritual lives. Not afraid, but aware. Take into account the different and the manifold way in which he operates on our will, he operates on our intellect, how he operates on our appetites, and all of these things. And, you know, none of the things in this book that I say are things that I came up with. It's all inspired by the writings of the great spiritual master, John of the Cross, the great Carmelite reformer who helped St. Teresa reform Carmel. You extensively reference St. John of the Cross in your book, as I have read. Uh, Briefly, can you tell us about St. John of the Cross? When did he live? What did he do? And does he give any details of personal confrontations that he had with the devil? St. John of the Cross, well, first, I met him when I was a senior in college. I was at a bookstore helping a friend who was 
awakening to the faith. He was brought up Catholic, raised in a Catholic school, but didn't really know too much about his faith. So I brought him to a used bookstore, and I was going to pick some books out for him. And I found for myself, for a quarter, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, which was the best 25 cents that I've ever spent in my life, because it was the introduction to this wonderful friend, John of the Cross, whom I had never heard of before. The title was interesting, and for some reason, I think it was providential. I picked out this book. I spent my 25 cents, my hard-earned money, for this used paperback, and that was the beginning. And so who is he? That's your question, I guess. He was born Juan uh, Yepes in a family in around 1542, 1543. They're not exactly sure what his birth uh, year was. And his father was what they would call in Spain at that time a converso. So a converso is somebody who had been Jewish, became Catholic. They were, they were a very wealthy family. And the father married down. And he married this woman from a poorer family. It was a real love story. So this was not a, uh, an arranged marriage. This was not something that was um, prudent in the eyes of many. But they loved each other. And he, they were shunned by the father's family. The father died, left the mother and three children in destitution. She knocked on the doors of her in-laws. They turned her away. She wandered Spain trying to earn money to support her children. John was the youngest. His older brother died of malnutrition. So then it was just the two boys left and John from an early age had a certain spiritual sensitivity. His formation, his spiritual formation really took off when he worked in a hospital for diseased people, many of them suffering from syphilis. And there he was cleaning them, changing their bed linens, caring for them. And he realized that suffering doesn't have to have the last word. So he decided to become a priest. Everybody thought he would be a diocesan or Jesuit, and he surprised everybody by becoming a Carmelite. He joined the Carmelite order, and he wasn't satisfied, especially at his time in Salamanca, when he was studying in Salamanca. He still had this longing that something was missing. So he wanted to join the Carthusians. Carthusians are a semi-hermit order, and they... They spend most of the day in their cells, and he thought, that's what I want. There was a fortuitous, I would even say a providential encounter with Teresa of Avila, who had actually had a dream about him as the man who would help her reform Carmel. And she said, no, God doesn't want that. She was very forceful. She said, Fray Juan Matias, that was his name, Juan de San Matias, um, God wants you to help me reform Carmel to bring it back to its primitive observance, to be what it should be. So that's what he did. And the first couple of years, it was a spiritual honeymoon. <laughs> and then that didn't last much longer than that. He was kidnapped by enemies of the reform. And he for nine months, he was in a dank, tiny cell in the dark. There was one little hole that let in some light. He had a, his breviary. He, was, he, he would hold it up to the hole and pray the breviary by sunlight. It was hot and humid in the summer. It was freezing in the winter. He wasn't allowed the sacraments. He was in prison. He was imprisoned by Carmelites who were resisting the reform. And he couldn't go to Mass. He couldn't say Mass. No. He couldn't offer Mass. He couldn't go to Mass. He couldn't go to confession. He... I don't want to get distracted with that. Okay, okay so we're going to move right now for a short uh, station break. Uh, we're going to come back to St. John of the Cross because it figured, he figures very well into this book. So, one, wonderful man, St. John of the Cross, wonderful lady. Dude. Stay tuned.
Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Are you retired or near retirement? Do you want to keep a larger amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT, 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. Hi, I'm Nancy Martin, and I'm coming to you from the University of Notre Dame, and I'm here with Father Jenkins, the president. Any form of communication, I think, in today's world is extremely important, and Catholic Radio reaches audiences that we can't reach in other ways, so uh, it's an important work of evangelization with the Pope is very high on. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Hello, I am Father Bill Hayward. This is Healing the Whole Person, a homegrown radio show from WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. I'm privileged to be sitting in the studio with Father Cliff Ermitinger, and we're discussing his new book, The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life. Uh, so we're happy to have you here with us, Father Cliff. We're happy to have all our listeners here with us. Uh, a quick idea. If you want to get the book, how do you get this book, Father Cliff? It's available on Amazon, and the title is The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life, St. John of the Cross's Teaching on Satan's Involvement at Every Stage of Spiritual Growth. So The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life on Amazon. Oh my gosh, what a... <laughs> the subtitle in there, I, I I don't often put in subtitles, but it does let us know how important this book is. Uh, Father Cliff, before the station break, you were telling us about St. John of the Cross, uh, because you said that that he's really your foundation in this this book, although I know you you use St. Thomas Aquinas, you use St. Teresa of Avila, but, but St. John of the Cross is your foundation. Uh, he becomes a priest, he grows up in a, poor, uh, in, in a poor family, he helps the sick and the destitute, he becomes a priest, he joins the Carmelite Reform, he gets thrown in, in, in a prison, I don't even want to say jail, this is a dark dusty, cold, hot prison, and uh, and that's where we left him off. Right, so and, to put, and to put things into perspective, this was the treatment that was not just reserved for John of the Cross, but this was for rebellious religious. Back in the 16th century, that's what would happen for rebellious religious, and that was supposedly an opportunity for their repentance, for them to think about what they had done. And we have to understand, if Pius XII said that we lost a sense of sin, then we also lose a sense of the need for repentance and the need to do penance and mortification, just as Our Lady of Fatima asks us to do. So th- that was what they were thinking, that this was a rebellious religious. John of the Cross, on the other hand, was really being docile to the action of grace, who worked first through St. Uh, Saint Teresa of Avila, who was the inspired reformer of Carmel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I want to get into a little bit about the book itself. Page 24, 
you write, the devil remains, actually you quote it, but, but it's a beautiful quote. The devil remains, save for the final phase, a constant presence. The devil remains, except for the final phase, a constant presence. Now, this might come as a surprise to some of our listeners. You're attending Sunday Mass. You're coming to the Sacrament of Penance. You're praying daily, both in the morning and the evening. You get to adoration maybe once a week. You, you, you see the seriousness of your vocation. Doesn't this keep the devil away? It attracts him. <laughs> it attracts him because, you know, if somebody is steeped in sin, the devil doesn't mess with that person much. He wound them up and let them go. And the devil is not too involved. Even St. Ignatius tells us that. He doesn't worry too much about the person who is already living in sin. The devil is going to be much more concerned about a faithful Catholic, a contemplative, somebody who's living out their vocation in a very conscientious way and trying to give God glory with their lives, of course that person's going to be attacked. But as, as, the title, as the subtitle says, at every stage, as we grow in the spiritual life, and there are three stages of the interior life, they're called the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive. For every stage, the way grace acts on the soul is different. The devil is blind to the whole economy of grace. He doesn't know what grace is. He does see the effects, though, in our lives. So he sees us when we're faithful to our Lord, when we obey the little inspirations of the movements of the Holy Spirit, when he sends us a temptation and we rebuff that attempt on his part. He, he's aware of all of that. And as a result, he has to adapt to see what will what will work. And as we grow in grace, as we learn to be absolutely faithful to the movement of grace, well, he's going to have to adapt. And we have to grow in prayer life, though. And if we don't grow in prayer life, St. Teresa of Avila identifies nine degrees of prayer. If we don't grow in prayer life, we're gonna, our struggle is going to stay pretty much the same. We all, we all know what vocal prayer is. We grew up with that. We, we had to memorize prayers for First Communion. But most people don't get beyond the first degree or the first grade. So we stay as spiritual infants, whereas there are nine degrees of prayer, and the first four of which are what are called ascetical prayer. In other words, it's where we, under the action of grace, under our own efforts, are praying. The second degree is called meditation. Like Lexio Divina, I take a passage of the scripture, and I think about it, I meditate, and I, and it, I develop a dialogue with Christ. That's called the second degree. What happens in that, when I, when I dedicate time and I go to adoration, all of a sudden, our Lord is no longer just purifying my intellect through meditation. So that's what happens in meditation. Our intellect is purified from all the stupid things we used to think about or the things that we've seen. He starts to, so he'll always, the Holy Spirit will always work on the intellect first. As our intellect is purified, our prayer becomes more what's called affective. In other words, where there's a there's a feeling, there's a consolation, there's a pull, there's a tug on my heart, and then we move from meditation to the third degree of prayer, third grade, called affective prayer. So now the Holy Spirit is working on our will, and it's purified in affective prayer. Once those are adequately purified, we move to what's called the prayer of simplicity. And the prayer of simplicity then is where both, if you've ever heard, uh, you know, bagpipes being played, the drones, when they're, when they're so well tuned, you know, you can't tell which is the bass, which is the tenor. Well, they're, they're kind of seamless. Well, that's what happens. Once our intellect and our will have been adequately purified through our own efforts of, of dedication to prayer under the action of grace, then we enter to the prayer of simplicity. And it's a very simple, loving act in which we don't think about much. We, we don't say anything. We have one simple, loving act for our Lord. The devil works in the opposite way. When we know what the truth is, he's not going to appeal to our mind. He's going to appeal to our appetites, to our will, and he'll try and bring about discouragement. When we rebuff all of that, when we say, no, I know my principles. I know the principles of the spiritual life. I know the principles of my faith. I'm going to stay faithful. And he sees that he can't move our will because our will is our own. He can't move our will. 
when he sees that our will is our own and we're free, then he starts to work on our intellect by sending us temptations. You really think you can be holy? Who do you think you are? Don't you remember when you did this? And he starts revealing to us half-truths, perhaps past sins, but they've already been forgiven. That's, another, that's, that's also a way we can tell if something comes to us from the Holy Spirit or from the devil. If it's an accusation of some, of some sin, objective, of objective sin of my past, was it forgiven or not? If it was forgiven and is trying to discourage me, I know that's the devil. If it wasn't brought to confession, then I know that's the Holy Spirit in his mercy who's waking me up so that I can confess that before I go to meet him face to face. Very true. Very true. So uh, our EWTN listeners are solid people, but just for the record, let's make very sure who is the devil. Say exactly for us, Father Cliff, who is the devil? The devil. Well, there is there is the one the one we call the devil, Satan, mm-hmm. right, who is a fallen angel, created good, created beautiful, created for union with God, and all of the other angels that fell with him. Now, just imagine how many that is. <laughs> if, if there are nine choirs of angels, and the lowest choir is also the smallest choir, and from that lowest choir, every guardian angel is taken, Mm-hmm. Everybody from Adam until the last person in existence is going to have at least one non-recyclable guardian angel. <laughs> and those are all from the smallest choir. And then you go up nine, uh, nine choirs all the way up to the top to the seraphim who are the, 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 the most powerful, the most beautiful. And the largest choir, and one-third of all of those angels fell. We know that from Revelation 12. One-third of all those angels fell. Mm-hmm. So all of, the, all of the demons in hell, and there are many more of them than there are of them. They don't sleep. Okay, so they're, <laughs> so they're quite active. Are we supposed to be afraid? No, we're supposed to be alert. We're supposed to be alert. And, you know, I mentioned earlier how in mass media has all these false representations of the devil because they don't know him. Why don't they know him? Because they don't know the Catholic truth. The ones who most know the devil are the ones who are closest to our Lord. Our Lord. Mm-hmm. So that's why the, it's the saints that best express who he is. And John of the Cross, who was a mystic, one of the greatest mystics, he called, he's called the mystical doctor. Well, because he knows truth so well, he's going to recognize falsity. Right? Just like a, somebody who knows art and music. You, I know you play the, the viola, right? So yes. you, 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 you appreciate music. You're also, going to appreci- you're also going to be able to identify an instrument that's out of tune mm-hmm. or music that has a cacophonous, right? So why? Because there's an education in beauty there. Mm-hmm. Well, when there's an education in truth, according to the truth revealed to us by our Lord, we're going to recognize lies more easily. And that's why it's the great mystics who best... Can identify the work of the devil. So he is a personal being mm-hmm. with an intellect, with a will. Demons know us better than we know ourselves. They can't read our minds. They don't know what we're thinking, but they do have access to our memory. They know what what we've seen. They know what we've heard, and they can cobble these things together and represent them to us. They can never give us a thought that we didn't have before. So, so uh, this is very interesting. Interesting, Father Cliff. Can they get inside our mind, or is it because... Definitely. And that's why we have to be careful about what we see, about what we watch, what we listen to, Mm -hmm. because we're giving them ammunition. On the other hand, mental prayer, dedication to mental prayer, Mm -hmm. works as a purification of of, and, and he starts to lose his grip. The more we meditate on scripture mm-hmm. and we enter into the ways of prayer, the less he's capable of acting on us. Now, what I've, what I've noticed helping people who have porn addictions, for example, most of them have what's called a diabolical obsession. Mm-hmm. Where, the, In other words, because of their openness to porn, They've given the devil an extraordinary access to their minds. So many of them are besieged with not only obscene thoughts, but often very violent thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so, so the devil has access to our mind. He can't read it, but he has access to it. And in varying degrees, according to what we've let him do. 
Very, very interesting. Now, you mentioned pornography, and, and, and that moves me to think about the triad that you mentioned in your book about the world, the flesh, and the devil. So when I think of pornography, I think of the, the world and the flesh when you think about it. Correct. It's so out there, and, and it's so stimulating that the, the poor souls who fall into it is so, so engaging them in the level of the flesh. Now, it seems as I've read your book that, that that you speak about that these are, are are something we can identify in the spiritual life that I, I that I'm being influenced by the world and being influenced by the flesh and being influenced by the devil or can we uh, and is it important that we be able to do that sometimes it's easier to identify uh, where this comes from for example when um, if I'm driving down the highway and I see uh, an immodest image on a billboard well there's the world that's pretty clear right <laughs> Um, memories can come back. That could be from my own, right? My own fallen nature. It could also be the devil representing things that I've seen or heard. When there's no, uh, there's no cause, apparent cause to bring it about. It's pretty clearly the devil. There, those are three scenarios. Doesn't really matter if we know that every temptation is an opportunity to renew our love for Christ, Lord. I love you infinitely more than this passing temptation. And it doesn't really matter what the source is. We shouldn't get worked up. Is that one from the devil? It doesn't really matter. Right? I mean, you, get, you have temptations, and what is it? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow in love for our Lord okay. by doing the right thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the devil, a, a, a quick question. We know by our Catholic faith that each of us have a guardian angel. Correct. Is there, might say, a, a devil that's been assigned to each one of us? I think about the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis's wonderful insights into temptation and the work of the devil. Uh, it, it, have you seen anything in the spiritual writings that uh, lead that way? That's a good question. Um, there was actually a heresy in the fourth and fifth century called the Massalian heresy. <laughs> And they purported, uh, gar you know, as, just as we have a guardian angel, we have a guardian demon, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, we don't really need one because there are enough of them around us that leverage all sorts of things against us. There are some families that seem to be more afflicted because some person in the family with authority opened up a portal in an extraordinary way and then you just see generation after generation a pattern of sin right so that that that's real is that like a guardian devil as we have guardian angels no it's just somebody gave permission the devil's a legalist mm -hmm. and so the devil then says i've got permission i'm going to use it uh -huh. and this is where we have to take um a lot of responsibility for our actions Right? Each one of us has spiritual authority over ourselves. Right? A father has a spiritual authority over his wife and his children, his house, and a mother has a spiritual authority over the children. So their prayers of protection are going to be very important. Their prayers are very because, precisely because of the natural slash supernatural order that God has established. So ultimately, our Lord is the one who has the greatest authority, but he's given us authority through baptism, authority that we otherwise wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Very, very interesting. I, I, I love this conversation. Uh, so uh, who will the devil go after first? I, I'm going to give you three scenarios. Um, there's a young man. He's going to a, a, a college campus. He's going to be exposed to the, the unfortunate alcohol and drug cu culture that's, uh, that's out there in so many college campuses. A priest ordained for 10 years. He's frustrated with maybe a new assignment. Maybe, you know, he's just at a place and he's not making the kinds of connections that he was hoping to. Or maybe a nun in a cloister community. A cloister community is where they stay all day and, and, and they work simply. They pray. They're committed to their, their rule and their community life. And maybe she's been there for 25 years. Who's the devil going to go after first in all this? Well, he doesn't have a choice. Um because there's plenty of them to go to work on them all. On the other hand, uh, so he doesn't just, he doesn't exclude anybody. And the, w if the question is more, how is he going to work? And which one frightens him more? Mm -hmm. 
John of the Cross tells us that the nun, the contemplative is going to frighten him more and therefore he's going to be more worried about her prayer. He says the devil gives more importance to disturbing the prayer of a contemplative than he does to trying to get somebody committed the sin to commit yet another sin. How interesting. Which, which tells us how important our prayer is, right? Yeah. If the devil is so afraid of that, if the devil is so afraid of that, then we ought to make him really afraid by dedicating a lot of time to prayer. I remember one time I have a friend who's an exorcist in, um, in Rome, and I was translating his book one night, and there was a, a footnote about Matarobin who was a great French mystic who was bedridden. She lived off the Eucharist for 50 years, a real remarkable person. And she was kind of a battlefield of, you know, visions of our Lord and being attacked by the evil one. Well, I was translating the book and, you know, when I write my own books, I, I don't like, I find footnotes tedious. Well, translating somebody else's footnotes is even more tedious for me. So I, <laughs> I had the passing temptation of just skipping over a reference to this Marta Robin, but I said, I can't. I'm supposed to do this. I got to do it. So I didn't give it any more thought. The next day during the, uh, the exorcism and the person who was possessed was possessed by Satan turned to me and said, how I hate you and your Marta Robin. <laughs> and, and the priest, the exorcist said to me, what were you doing? Were you just praying to Marta Robin? I said, no, it was just a little a, a passing temptation last night to not translate this. And he said, oh, he was spying on you. So I thought, if that little detail of a footnote was worrisome to the devil, how much more must that whole book that I was translating be? Thank God you're out there doing, writing these books, translating these books. We're going to take a break. This is Catholic Radio WSFI 88.5. We're so happy to have Father Cliff Hermitager with us, and uh, we'll see you soon. I am Bishop Don Hying from the Diocese of Gary, Indiana. Catholic Radio has a remarkable reach into the minds and hearts of all sorts of people who may not be going to church, who may not have any other connection to learning about the faith. I know so many people have grown in the Catholic faith because they listen to Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Hi, this is Wes Riccio from the Holy Family Catholic Bookstore in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, wishing all of you a very blessed Advent season. Holy Family has a great selection of Advent wreaths, calendars, and devotionals to help you prepare for the coming of the Lord. And this Christmas, why not consider a gift of faith for your friends and loved ones? Whether you are shopping for a child or adult, Holy Family has the perfect gift. From cradle medals to clinging crosses, baby Bibles to study Bibles, sacred jewelry to sacred art, Holy Family has it all. For 22 years, the Holy Family Catholic Bookstore has served as a resource for the faithful in Northeast Illinois and Southeast Wisconsin. Let us help you give the gift of faith. Our historic 164-year-old building is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, just two miles north of the state line. 
more information is available on Facebook. This is WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5 on the greater Chicago area. We're blessed in our Healing the Whole Person show to have Father Cliff Ermitinger, a prolific author, and his latest book is The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life. Uh, Father Cliff, so good to have you here. How do we get this book? Well, this book is available on Amazon, and so... I imagine most of the listeners have access to Amazon, so if you put in the devil's role in the spiritual life, you'll find the book there on Amazon. And I want to say, this would be a great book for your parish priest. I mean, uh, I want to say as a parish priest, we can get so disconnected about things like this. After all, we have parish council meetings, we have finance meetings, we have parish festivals like I'm going to this weekend in Holy Rosary in Kenosha. Kenosha. But but, but to be refreshed by, uh, for one, a, a, a... refamiliarity of the spiritual life but then to see how the devil is trying to keep us from the spiritual life it's a it's a wonderful read and i think your your priest might want a book so well, thanks for that up for your priest pick one up for your deacon and uh, buy two for yourself so you can read it twice <laughs> on the other hand you know i think we have to keep in mind here is that john of the cross was not obsessed with the devil he just realized that he's real and he's active. Mm-hmm. He never he he doesn't talk much about his own experience. Mm-hmm. Other other um, witnesses do. <laughs> they, they they mention how just his presence, because he was so holy, just his presence was fierce to the demons, and he was a humble, quiet man. Mm-hmm. And nonetheless, passing by a possessed man, the devil shrieked and left the man because he couldn't take the presence of this holy priest so he doesn't he and he never says that in his own writings this was written by a witness and that was used in the cause for his canonization that this happened multiple times and Teresa of Avila also said that he was a great exorcist he never mentions that he does mention in his writings how the devil works and he does it in a very systematic way so my, my, my goal with this book was to show that when he talks about the, the the ways the devil works on us, there's a progression that in the early stages, the purgative stage, we were referring earlier to the three stages, there's the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive. In the purgative stage, the devil's going to be, his temptations are going to be much more base, more in the area of, of the flesh, our laziness, impurity, memories, and things of that nature. As we progress, the devil has, because of our, our growing love for God and our, our growing docility to grace, the devil realizes those things don't work. And remember how <laughs> the devil is so twisted in his own self-love that he can't stand being rebuffed. <laughs> so he's going to want to look for something that works. So what's going to work for somebody who's passed after maybe many years of doing adoration, meditation, fidelity to their confession, and they pass to the illuminative stage... He's going to try and get them to be spiritually proud. Mm-hmm. And that's, he said, that's going to be the way that he's going to try and make this person fall. And as they grow in their love for Christ, they sometimes experience consolations. And the devil's going to try to get them to be attached to those feelings to and even seek those feelings. We have to distinguish between the God of consolation and the consolation of God. One is God, the other is a creature. God cannot be felt. He's not tangible. And he can give us consolations. That's fine. He can also take them away. And that's fine. St. Ignatius says that if you're in consolation, hold on to your hats because desolation is on its way. And if you're in desolation, don't worry. Consolation's on its way. There's an ebb and flow in the spiritual life. And we have to be very detached and not so and not focus on how we feel. We what what we feel often reflects a reality, but it's not something upon which to base 
my decisions in the sense I don't feel good. I feel grumpy when I wake up. Until I've had my coffee, I'm pretty grumpy, okay? But that's not a, uh, that's not something that should direct how I act. <laughs> that's not something that should direct how I interact with people or my trust in God because I haven't had my coffee yet. Okay, so in other words, our feelings are not always indicating something objective. And if I'm reading your book correctly, Father Cliff, the devil can give consolations or spiritual feelings, correct? Exactly, as God can. And so with with John of the Cross, we can we can we can better discern if these desolations or consolations are from God or the devil. And God's consolation is profound. It brings peace. Mm-hmm. It brings with it confidence. And always, and this is this is this is really the, the most important part, a greater desire for humility and virtue. Mm-hmm. The devil, when he brings consolation, it's saccharine. It's bubbly. It makes me focused on myself and on the feeling itself. Mm-hmm. So it's in a certain in a in a in a very subtle way it draws me away from God and more into myself. It becomes narcissistic. John of the Cross calls that person a spiritual adulterer. He's being unfaithful to his divine spouse, Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, it seems like it would be so hard to discern. How, how do people, well, well, there were those hints. I think this is also a, a reason why a spiritual director is so important in the spiritual life, to help help a person understand or, or bring up, do you really think these are coming from God? That's, you're right. It's, it's so, it's very difficult sometimes to have an ob- a purely objective vision of ourselves and, and a spiritual director. I have a spiritual director. I've always had a spiritual director. What a help that is. And in fact, Teresa of Avila once said that sometimes, even before she got the spiritual direction, just having the disposition of being transparent and telling the spiritual director about what was happening in her soul, that the devil lost his grip on her and his temptations all of a sudden just dissipated because of this humble transparency, this this trust. Yes, very true. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to get back to these spiritual feelings. Uh, you go to Sunday Mass. You, you you receive communion, you go back in your hymn, uh, you go back in your pew, a good hymn is playing, you feel close to God. Uh, it, it's a religious sediment. Um, but due to the fact that some of these can come from God, some of these could come from the devil, uh, do we have a general distrust of these religious feelings, do you think, Father Cliff? Um, I think the idea is to recognize that, that they're real, and uh, much like a temptation, regardless of the source, I should renew my desire to serve our Lord. I should thank him for whatever he gives me and recognize it as a passing gift. If it's from God, it's a passing gift because it's not going to last forever. And but I and I shouldn't hold on to it. And that's that's one of the rules in affective prayer, and also one of the dangers in affective prayer, that I can have these feelings. But I I should never force them. I should never seek them, and I should never try to prolong them. Just be humble. Whatever you want to give me, Lord, that'll be the right size. Mm-hmm. And I just have to trust you. Yeah, beautiful. And so when when we have that humble abandonment, our Lord is freed up to do a lot more wonderful things for us. And so John is not obsessed with the devil. He's obsessed with Christ, (laughs) but he recognizing that somebody's trying to get in between us and our divine beloved. And so he wants to, he wants to warn us. And, and so the whole idea of this book was to recognize that there's actually something systematic that for each stage of the spiritual life, purgative, illuminative, unitive, there is a different way in which John refers to. So he never he never draws it out in a systematic way. But if you extract every reference he makes to the devil, then you see that it's all very very logical. Yes, I see. Uh, so going back to this, I I looked at this morning about it a couple of these phases, in in the purgative phase. So it usually in the purgative phase, someone is beginning the right. spiritual journey. Correct. Um, maybe they've had a conversion. Maybe they they just understand that they have to be serious about their faith. Um, 
and and so a person begins to pray and the trials come they're they're attacked by a spirit of fornication as you say or a spirit of blasphemy or a spirit of loathing or maybe of all three and it calls the question well before my conversion or before i i made a a commitment to do this i didn't have any of these exactly either they're going to say i must be doing something wrong or why do i want to do this that's that's a great question and and people tell me that especially you know young men who have come out of perhaps a a pretty dilapidated university existence you know just just partying and and the the notion of going to confession and repenting of their sins is is now a new reality in their lives Mm -hmm. and now they go to confession now they go to mass and now the craziness starts it's a good sign somebody's nervous somebody wants them to go back to their old ways he wasn't acting that way before because he didn't have to do anything he wound them up and let him go and so they were already in his hands now that they're out of his hands the devil's going to act so we shouldn't be afraid of the devil's action he can never make us do anything he can invite us. He can suggest something. He can propose something. He can even be, in an obnoxious way, present to us all sorts of images to our mind. Mm-hmm. But so what? So what? My, my choice is for Christ. And as I make my choice for Christ, I become stronger and I become more rooted in my relationship with Christ. So the devil is an actor, but he's not the protagonist in all of this. <laughs> That's important to remember. Very important. Very important. When we go to the illuminative phase, you know, here virtue is more easily practiced. This prayer to quiet or simplicity is is becoming more and more apparent. You've gone through some trials. You certainly have gone through some trials. Um, in a sense, the soul is stronger here. True. You know, uh, what what will bring about its corruption? How's the devil going to work? It. it, it this time where the person is stronger right so this is a, somebody who is now stable in grace mm-hmm. in other words they're they're not falling into mortal sin and having to confess rather there's a stability in grace and obviously there's a huge spectrum mm-hmm. in the illuminative stage and the passage from illuminative to unitive is usually a, a period of many many years mm-hmm. the dangers here are going to be above all at the beginning of the illuminative stage when they realize I'm st- I'm really not committing the sins that I used to and they but the and as they are so committed to Christ and these are good people mm-hmm. as they're so committed to Christ and they would never think about committing a mortal sin they don't have that same delicacy of conscience about venial sin mm-hmm. and they can start to get complacent. This is the reason many don't go beyond illuminative to unitive, mm-hmm. because there's a certain complacency, and I, I'm, I'm fine now. I'm, but you're never in one place. You're never in one place in the spiritual life. I was, I was in Marine Corps boot camp, and we had this a long time ago when I was in shape, and there, there was this mountain of sand that we had to climb up with, you know, helmet. 70 pound pack and a rifle and it was made of soft sand and just you know hundreds and hundreds of these marine recruits are all climbing up and you, there was just no stopping if you stop you just start to <laughs> start to sink down and that's the spiritual life right we're, we're kind of encumbered and we have to keep on moving because you can't stay in one place in the spiritual life and if i'm not moving ahead I'm often imperceptibly moving backwards. So that's why, you know, our Lord sets sets the bar somewhat high when he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's, you know, I, I look in the mirror and I don't see that. Okay, I do my conscience exam. I don't see that. So can I say I've made it? I don't think so. None of us can say I've made it. The saints are the ones who first say, I still have work to do. So in in this stage, does do you take on more prayer then, or do you take on more penance, or uh, uh, do do you go and do a, a a ministry or something like that in order to combat this this complacency of which you speak? Well, I think God's will does not. It's important to remember that God's will does not go in opposite directions at the same time. So, if 
somebody is, if, uh, imagine a housewife. She takes care of her husband. She takes care of her family. Takes care of the inner workings of the house. That's a full-time job, right? Right. <laughs> and and she has to recognize that as God's will. Yes. So here, you know, there's the there's the Greek dictum, which says quality over quantity. Much, not many, is the literal saying much not many in other words we don't necessarily have to multiply a lot of things it has to do with the degree of love with which we do it our intention Mm -hmm. and so yes we have to have what what are the three what are the three necessary means of salvation it's sacramental grace it's prayer and it's virtue Mm -hmm. so those by degree Mm. Right. In other words, a degree of quality in all of those. That's where holiness is going to be achieved. Not in extraordinary things like visions or locutions or anything like that. It's going to be in those ordinary things, carrying out of my duty in a heroic way. And, and, and again, I think that would confound the devil more than anything else. Indeed. That someone is vested in their vocation. That someone is vested in 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 how, they, how they've been chosen by God or where they've been chosen by God to commit themselves. Yeah. Humility drives him nuts. He uh-huh. can't understand it. He can't fathom it. And when our Lord points to himself, he says, hey, learn from me, I'm intelligent. No, learn from me, I'm meek and humble of heart. When the Blessed Mother says, you know, God has looked upon what? Upon the humility of his handmaid. Yes. And so yes. this is going to be the foundation virtue for everything else and without humility none of the other virtues have a chance mm-hmm. and and when we think about it, humility uh if you're a parish priest you get it by being in your parish if you're religious you get in your religious community uh if you're married you get it in your family i mean all those have many many opportunities for you to <laughs> practice humility more than most of us would care to have <laughs> exactly. and exactly. we certainly wouldn't have picked a lot of the opportunities but they're there for a providential reason we have been blessed to be with Father Cliff Ermitager, uh, an author, and his most recent book is The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life. It's available on Amazon, uh, e- uh, so therefore easy to get. Uh, I can't recommend it enough uh, for, for, for anyone who's serious in the spiritual life, who have taken those steps to say, you know, I, how am I going to grow closer? Because not only does Father Cliff speak about the devil, much more so he speaks about the importance of growth in the spiritual life. And, and so you want it. Your parish priest wants it. And so make sure you get a copy and give it to your parish priest. Uh, we, we need things like this. We, please, could you give us your blessing? Yes, and, and, thank, and thanks for having me. May the blessing of our Lord God Almighty descend upon you and remain with you forever through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Michael, and all the angels and saints, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Healing the whole person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. For more information about this program or to purchase additional CD copies, please call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Pizza Dulcedo, Espes Nostra Salve, A Te Clamamus, Exules Filiebe, A Te Suspiramus, Gementes et Flentes, in hoc lacrimarum vale. Ega ergo, advocata nostra, illustruos misericordes oculos, ad nos convete. Et Jesu, benedictum fructum ventris tui, nobis postoc exilium ostende. O Clemens,
Oh. Uh-huh.